Hi, everyone. For this week's conversation, I was able to speak with Brian Patterson. Brian is a Cayman-based Bermudian by nationality, corporate offshoring expert, crypto counsel, and lawyer. With the current implosion of FTX and the crypto industry kind of shaky, I thought it would be prudent to speak with someone at the heart of the nexus between crypto, the Caribbean, international banking, tax compliance, regulation, the whole jazz. I hope you find it interesting. And for those who aren't familiar with FTX and the current implosion, I recommend reading the primers I posted in the show notes before listening. Thanks. I really wanted to talk to you because one, you're an attorney, and two, you're based in the Caribbean, and three, you're not American, and four, you're my cousin, so maybe I can ask <laughs> questions. Um, you know, the FTX scandal seems to be imploding and being a black hole. But one of the things I was most curious, I have no exposure to it, um, but I was particularly interested in what an attorney in your line of work thinks about this all. But before we start, why don't you give everyone just a quick bio of who you are and where you are sure. and what you do? Yeah. All right. Um, great. Thanks very much, Robert. Um, Brian Patterson, um, senior corporate counsel is in the Cayman Islands. Uh, as And so we cover just about everything. And... Cayman Islands um, is an offshore jurisdiction, which is, I guess, shorthand for um, we're not supposed to say no tax. We're supposed to say neutral tax or low tax these days. And so there is no income tax, capital gains, dividend tax, that sort of thing here. Uh, same as Bermuda, where I come from originally. Both those jurisdictions uh, are quite busy with international corporate work. Um, so I do corporate work, not litigation work, although there is quite a bit of litigation work um, that that uh, is thrown up by some of the, the corporate stuff that we put in place. But large corporate deals come through the Cayman Islands uh, uh, all the time. And so I'm able to uh, participate, take, uh, um, you know, get a, a, a fair bit of work um, coming without even having to, to advertise much. People come to us rather than us having to go to them. Um, so that's, a, that's just a bit of my background. Um, uh, any, anything missing, Robert? Uh, let me know. So what... Just let's talk about the FTX implosion. What's your first, what's the water cooler conversation in the Cayman Islands about this situation? Well, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, obviously, for, for anybody who's in financial uh, services or financial markets. But there is definitely a, a line to be drawn between those who are involved in crypto and many of them are deep into it. And those who have nothing to do with crypto and are watching from the other side of the fence. And, and so there isn't really 
a much of a middle ground. Um, and, and those who aren't involved um, aren't really, you know, they read the news and they see the numbers and they think Enron and, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, as we saw the the fellow who has taken over at FTX, uh, Ray, John Ray, Jack Ray, he, he was, he helped bring Enron through its insolvency and his first comments were he has seen nothing like the level of uh, failure, the, the the degree of failure in the compliance, uh, accounting, um, you know, KYC type of information that is coming out of his initial couple of days review of the financials and infrastructure of FTX. So that um, does not bode well. Um, the the crypto market in general for most people is not very well regulated and so for some people for unscrupulous people that they see as an as an advantage uh, an opportunity and so for for us here in the Cayman Islands I do the crypto work for our company um for 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 my office a lot of the other guys won't touch it because they're not familiar with it. They don't know about it. Um, but when I say I do crypto work, what I do is help uh, crypto clients set up their uh, uh, companies under the crypto regulation here in the Cayman Islands. Um, we are managed by the Cayman Islands uh, Monetary Authority, SEMA for short. And they put in place a couple of years ago a, a, a quite robust regulation for virtual asset service providers, VASP, so VASP for short. And there are probably 10 to 15 regulated uh, VASP entities in the Cayman Islands now who have gone through a very um, uh, uh, in-depth uh, KYC which, which stands for know your client, you know, due diligence on the directors, the shareholders, the experience, the knowledge of these people uh, who are setting up companies to assist with uh, virtual assets, be that exchange or uh, outright sale or custody, uh, any business to do with uh, virtual assets. So, those kinds of regulations are in place um, in a place like the Cayman Islands. You have the British Virgin Islands, which is a sister jurisdiction, similar no-tax jurisdiction, but their regulations, they have regulations, but they're a little less robust. So there's a few exemptions that uh, uh, VASPs can use there. And so more often than not, we might put the crypto business in the Virgin Islands with a holding company in the Cayman Islands um, gives the client the best of both worlds. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, U.S. versus non-U.S. Um, is a big, a big uh, discussion, um, you know, ongoing discussion in the U.S. about regulation. You know, is crypto a security? Is it a commodity? How, how is it to be regulated? Well, it's not yet regulated and 
So you end up with these types of FTX situations with 50 odd billion dollars worth of assets tied up or lost by uh, hopeful, if unsuspecting clients of that particular exchange. Brian, how would you compare the Bahamian um, regulatory framework and jurisdiction to the Cayman and to other ones? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. So Bahamas, um, as you know, is, a, is an independent nation. Um, they went independent quite some time ago, had a rough time of it for a while, and have been building themselves up, selling themselves as an offshore jurisdiction. Um but they don't have the infrastructure or the the same rule of law that we might have in uh, the Cayman Islands. Cayman, Bermuda, and BVI are all British overseas territories. So we have common law, we have statute law, but we are governed by, and any client or counterparty here has a right of appeal, to the Privy Council in London, the highest court in the in the um, you know British uh, group of of uh, um, in, in the British Isles and its um, overseas territories, so that gives a lot of of comfort to anybody who's coming to to those places. Bahamas does not have that. Uh, sophisticated type of of legal structure. Um, you know, I'm. It's it's recognized as as an offshore jurisdiction. They, they are certainly better than what they used to be, but setting up in a place like that probably requires less due diligence and less strict um, uh, actions and activities. I think there is a Bahamas Securities Administration or 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 some sort of a, uh, um, an entity of that nature. Uh, I've seen them named in some of, the, um, some of the articles, but I know I don't know anything about them. Uh, we don't have much to do with Bahamas. Uh, we have an affiliate company, that uh, affiliate law firm, that if we have a Bahamian matter, you know, we'll go to those guys and, and take their instruction. But in my crypto dealings and in my corporate dealings, there is not a whole lot uh, uh, of, of interaction with the Bahamas. So it, it could be said that it is uh, not as sophisticated or as developed a jurisdiction as some of the other ones mentioned. Do you think that was purposely chosen or, I mean, it's impossible to know their intentions, but would you assume, would you have advised uh, an exchange to fund themselves and base themselves? No, um, I, I would not have, but, you know, my clients and my uh, uh, my approach is to make the best of, of what's in front of us in terms of, you know, there's a balance between regulation, reputation, uh, authority, and, uh, um, and cost. So sometimes a place like Cayman, you you know it's more expensive to op and Bermuda it's more expensive to operate, but you have a high degree of of regulation and reputation. 
BVI, a little less expensive, but you still have good regulation and reputation. Uh, Bahamas is definitely a choice for those who want to set up without having to uh, go through as strict a process. Um, I mean, my sense is that they may have set up there initially because it was a little easier, uh, a, a little more, you know, entrepreneurially friendly. But I don't think they realized how big and how busy FTX would get. I mean, that was that was the um, it just skyrocketed within a couple of years with the the. Um, you know, the, the, the system, the ecosystem, the, the offering that they had in place, the contacts. Um, and so the reasons for choosing Bahamas at the beginning, you know, if, if FTX wanted to, let's say a year ago, uh, had grown to such a size, if there were concerns, you know, the opportunity would have been to move their, uh, their um, domicile moved the company to a different jurisdiction with stronger, better regulations, but they, they didn't. Um, whether that was because they were too busy uh, uh, dealing with their success, I'm not sure. But um, it just seems troublesome when the father of the CEO and the father of Sank Bankman Fried are both legal regulatory experts in US law. It's it's unusual. Yeah, I, you know, whether that means that they're getting some sort of special secret advice, or whether that means they don't talk to their parents at all. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, you you would have thought that there would be some kind of, of, you know, my, my, my thought is, oh, you know, and I'm projecting my own perspective. Oh, listen, you know, son, you need to consider your reputation and your jurisdiction choice versus what someone else may think. Oh, son, if you're considering something, listen, let me tell you where to go, where you can make it the easiest way to go. Um, and, and which of those, I guess, as you say, we're not quite sure. How do you think this is going to play out legally? I mean, the jurisdictional challenges just seem profound. They're filing bankruptcy it's, in the U.S. Oh, it's crazy. So crazy. just walk me through where you think this is. So so there are, I think it was 150 companies or 100 companies that were involved in as as um, aspects of the the group of of companies in a bunch of different jurisdictions globally. Um, but what so what's happening now is bankruptcy in the primary jurisdiction in the US and and so bankruptcy uh, again I'm a corporate lawyer not a litigation lawyer it's it's the litigation guys who would be involved there but for instance my uh firm has uh, acted quite quickly and and you know last week put out a memorandum which I've sent to you Robert you would have seen you know describing the case that's going to be or, or, or pr preparation for the for the bankruptcy uh, proceedings and gathering claimants, gathering uh, people who have lost or whose funds are locked up, because now that it's in bankruptcy, it, it's being monitored, managed by the government 
by the liquidators, you have to, everybody has to line up and make their claim for what they say they're owed, prove their claim, and then get a percentage, uh, uh, divide up whatever's left amongst uh, the claimants pro rata, whether they'll get, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, one cent on the dollar or less, we're, we're not quite sure yet. Do you think there's evidence of regulatory capture in the Bahamas? Of regulatory capture. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, FTX and SBF or the founders seem to make donations to oh. strategic regulatory bodies and right. media bodies. So I'm just curious how you find that playing in or not, or I'm just concerned how does the Bahamas actually create or how does the Cayman's regulatory bodies not get in bed with the oh my yeah. god you you here in, in cayman or bermuda i mean working here you yeah you might go out for lunch with someone that you work with at the at the uh monetary authority in bermuda or cayman and you might pay for that lunch um but but that's as far as it goes you you're, you're not going to take them out for dinner and their families and you know put wine on the table, et cetera. The, 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 both those regulatory authorities, by virtue of being in an offshore jurisdiction already, they are both well aware that, that they need to be extremely careful as to how, you know, both what they do and what they're perceived to do in terms of uh, interaction or favoritism or any kind of um, involvement with client regulatory issues um so yes very little of that would happen here um there's certainly no contributions or donations or presence um <laughs> that would be involved in the bahamas i'm i'm not i'm not sure and I, i'm not uh I, I haven't actually dug into that yet yeah from the general you know, the Twitter mind sphere has become kind of a citizen journalist effort. And they found, you know, images of him with the Ministry of Finance and they're opening new buildings. And, you know, to them, the FTX was a, you know, a golden goose that would help prop up the Bahamian kind of crypto market. And then when the exchange closed, they were the first regulatory agents to almost get a backdoor access to pull out their funds. Right. So the, the thing I'm questioning as a, an attorney, how did all the investors get duped by these people? You know, you have Sequoia so, yeah. and all of these. How is the due diligence? I mean, I call you up and you're already sending me so many red flags. One, they're the Bahamas. Two, they don't right. know. Right. But how, what's your take on this? So, just, so, so for instance, I, I, have, I have a couple of crypto clients who have decided to set up here in the Cayman Islands for all the reasons listed before there they are you know very smart very sensible very risk averse um and they and they are you know it, it, it's it's crypto it's crypto blockchain business there there's a lot of volatility more volatility than almost anything but these guys and, and i've watched them over the course of years these guys are very careful with what they do and what they get involved in um you know, Luna and, and, and the Terra uh, precursor to this, they were they st stayed way, way, well away from um, uh, FTX, 
they had no exposure to. They're, um, uh, they make decisions based on their own um, very sensible views. Now, that means sometimes they're ignoring potential profit, potential revenue, potential, you know, exponential returns. The, the average person, let alone the average institution, when they see the kinds of, of returns, exponential returns that are theoretically possible, because of the volatility of crypto and because of the whatever is being touted by the, the founders of some of these firms, they, they can't resist. And unfortunately, they're, you might want to say their, their, you know, um, their mercenary instincts overcome their moral, moral instincts. And, and that leads to this kind of situation. How do you expect um, Sam Bankman-Fried, do you think there's going to be criminal aspects or how do you think this is going to pan out for them? He seems, you know, he's still talking to the press and he's responding to questions and it just seems he's not as nervous as he should be. No, no, exactly. It, it, it you know, for someone who, who is that where some of the commentators have noted, you know, he was worth 26 billion a couple of years ago, 20 billion at the beginning of this year, 10 billion a couple of weeks ago, and absolutely zero now. He does not seem to be phased. And whether that's because he's, um, you know, really emotionally uh, uh, disconnected uh, or, you know, he's got uh uh he's he's looked after himself in some in some way i'm not quite sure you know just that's just financially from in terms of consequences for his actions um yeah i'm i'm not sure how far it'll go i mean it depends on whether it's um how i mean you would imagine it would go as far as yeah, there's there's jail time to be to be paid for the degree of fraud and the degree of mismanagement of client funds, uh, misappropriation of client funds. To he moved them from FTX to Alameda, uh, about four billion that was not his money. Um, and, but but see, then when you got this whole structure that's propped up by the, the collateralized by the FTT, you know his own token, which is made up money. It just, from any sort of sensible crypto perspective, that that doesn't make sense. But that didn't seem to uh, um, uh, deter all of these folks who are now in, in the unfortunate situation are not able to have access to their funds, if ever. Well, the conspiracy theory is that this was all done on purpose to implode the crypto market and lead to what's known as central bank digital currencies because the second this imploded you know there's talk now in the US about the need for heavy regulation for really right, right. cranking down on that so it is interesting that Sam Bankman-Fried's father is literally the expert on regulatory law on the SEC and the Fed and all this so i don't want to go down the you know rabbit hole of conspiracies but i'm curious what you think of since you're in the crypto space, the central bank digital currencies, if you have any opinion on them. 
no it's it's um you know i mean it seems a uh a, a, a next step in the terms of crypto uh development um globally uh there there's there's you know much more to be to be done and developed and the fact that there isn't regulation in place to manage or assist with these kinds of crazy situations that would seem to beg for some type of regulation because the parties are obviously not self-regulating and the you know the bottom line for any of this regulation is to protect the consumer protect the average person who might want to invest um institutions who do it uh, you know they're supposed to be uh um sophisticated investors so so but the reality is that this has happened whether it was i mean it would be a very large and and unfortunate experiment if it was done on purpose to create that type of of uh, arena for further regulation I, I i'm not sure whether that's um uh you know i think it, it may be more these guys put something in place it grew way out of hand for anything that they could have imagined or or attempted to to regulate far faster than they could um it's uh no, it's like a well to me it just seems like a Ponzi scheme similar to the Madoff um situation. Right, right. I just don't understand how these you have all these due diligence lawyers analyzing everything and writing two hundred million dollar checks and just not even asking questions. And right. then just the FTX, you know, they're they're guaranteeing fifteen percent returns with no risk. They kept saying no risk. It just seems so outrageous. Yeah. Well, exactly that. Just that statement on its on its own, you know, fifteen percent return with no risk. How how was that possible? That's a statement made by the the uh, you know the offerors, the 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 owners, their own perception of of no risk, and how that's received by the the buying public is an entirely different matter. And it's that distinction that the the court, I imagine, will will look at, focus on, and and count the numbers and um, find them uh, severely wanting in terms of of how they uh, how they manage the whole process. Yeah, because at least with the Madoff Ponzi, it seems like he had just false records with the accounting. But here, according to the Enron CEO, it just seems like they had nothing in place. You know, yeah, the, he he his he listed off a bunch of issues that were not being managed, and that would seem to be potentially could be laid at the feet of the Bahamas regulatory um, uh, system because that would not have happened in Cayman or uh, uh, BVI. It's um, in other words, they they would have tr- had to have hidden things from the regulators in order to get that far. In Bahamas, it didn't seem like they had to hide anything. They just did what they wanted um, and were able to 
operate with such loose controls. I mean, it's like a a, a, a race car, and and nobody's doing up the the um, lug nuts on the tires, or making sure the the gas tank doesn't leak, or making sure that there's a seat belt. You just it's just thrown together with no protections and and set out at at high speed. Um, not uh, a, a recipe for disaster. In fact, how do you think this uh, affects just the general image of the Caribbean as kind of a wild banking place? I, I, I mean, from where I sit in in the Cayman Islands, um, I don't think it affects us that much. It it's more of a commentary on the crypto business, which we are quite conservative on here. Um, but Caribbean in general, uh, it's Bahamas. I think everybody knows Bahamas is, has, I shouldn't say everybody. Uh, I believe that the general perspective is the Bahamas is a bit of a wild west situation. You can do things there that you couldn't do in other places. Cayman, BVI, Bermuda are, you know, blue chip offshore jurisdictions with strong regulation, um, uh, a history of strong regulation, um, uh, rule of law, common law, statutory in place. So we continue to do business. None of my regular clients, non-crypto clients, have even whispered that they are concerned about their choice of jurisdiction as a result of the FTX stuff. Do you think this will have any relational change with the U.S. government or the overreach that they sometimes have on fiscal matters worldwide? I'm not sure how they would be able to. I mean, we've got the FATCA rules in place where we can't, we can't, you know, we have to uh, identify and advise every U.S. uh, um, person about their involvement in in businesses here. But you know the US can put in place its crypto regulation. You know, we have our we have ours already. Um the the I guess the you know crypto decentralized autonomous organizations, the the whole DAO uh, uh ethos uh is decentralized. There is so what so one of the interesting things, you know, I, when I when you set anybody up in a, you know, you got to go through your your forms, and the forms have drop down lists, and those drop down lists, there's a standard one that you've seen before to identify the jurisdiction of incorporation, jurisdiction of business. Well, all these crypto guys, there is no jurisdiction. You're looking for global or other when when these guys come in, and there's some kind of business because they are outside of these types of jurisdictional, you know, unless and until they put a company in place, it is decentralized and non-jurisdictionally based. So you, most of them will make sure they keep out of the U.S. because of, because of the U.S. Uh, issues um, and, and extraterritorial reach. Um, but, you know, putting a company in Cayman or Singapore and then, and then operating worldwide is, um, is not really an issue and and will continue to they'll continue to operate like that. Do you are you optimistic, pessimistic on the future of crypto? 
Oh, I, I, optimistic. I mean, I like three years ago, I I would not have been I would not have been um, I would have said yes. This seems like sensible development, and it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. So, put the regulation in place here, and and my practice here as I've been the lawyer most interested in finding out and learning about it um, and the types of clients that I meet and and watch how they operate, uh, I, I think there is definitely an area of, of um, uh, this is an area to watch that will expand. It, it, it hasn't taken full shape yet. You know the benefits of blockchain versus the volatility volatility of cryptocurrency. The, the, those are two different aspects, and I think there are and will be continued benefits and improvements in the crypto space altogether. Where do you feel that the center of the crypto world is? Is it Asia? Is it Japan? Is it the U.S. Still, I'm just curious where you feel like the energy so singapore has been one of the early adopters with regulation uh and quite a few um crypto entities basing themselves there so um cayman islands is becoming another one um you know it's kind of funny cayman and bermuda singapore the banks will deal with it there um U.S. doesn't have the regulation, and there is a couple. There are a couple of banks that will deal with crypto. Cayman and Bermuda both have crypto regulation, uh, allowing uh, companies to to be virtual asset service providers. But no banks will touch it. The banks are still very uh, old school, risk averse. Uh, they like their mutual funds money and their institutional investors. Crypto is far too volatile for them. So it's it's um, the different jurisdictions and the different types of business or the different types of different aspects of crypto, some of which involve, you know, somewhere, somehow, you still, you have to switch, you know, crypto to fiat. And who's going to do that and how are you going to do that? There's a bunch of clients that are making good money off of that uh, because a bunch of the banks won't do it yet. Do you ever have conversations with the banks, or do they advise? Do they ask for advice? Oh yeah, I mean, we've tried. We've tried. We get eager clients who will come and say, "Well, yeah, I, I'm doing something very easy and very simple, and I will tell the bank, and they will, they will, they will help me." And uh, we say, "Okay, go go for it." You know, I, I can introduce you, but payment banks are not ready. Bermuda has a bank. There's a bank that's set up but not yet given authority to operate. And supposedly they are a crypto bank. The government uh, allowed them to set up, but hasn't given them, I don't quite understand what's happening there, uh, it, it, but it's it's not yet, it's not uh, operating yet. So, you know, they're partway there, but um, not all the way. Got it. Um, do you have any experience with Chinese customers or any area from there, totalitarian kind of states and how they're using crypto? I, I, I have a, a lot of India 
in order to be considered to to remain as a as a and be considered as a um uh, a law firm worth dealing with with a reputation would would be would not be able to deal with russian clients now other law firms in india as you say would take a different stance yeah it just seems like it created a whole arbitrage for middlemen to just continue the business yes like all so. the, because yeah. the russian oil is still flowing to europe it just flows through turkey or through india and it just seems like those sanctions failed in my opinion and just created a lot of extra profit margins for certain right. middle right, countries. Right. No, no, that's a that's a consideration for sure. So I was just curious how that, and then it all plays into the crypto world because I mean, you saw how that there's evidence now that oh right funds from the U.S. ended up in Ukraine and those funds yep. then got yep. laundered or filtered into FTX and then right. back to certain parties in the U.S. or elsewhere. Yeah. So I'm just—it's wild to see that kind of yes money laundering at, at, at such to such an extent. Exactly. What is the future for the next? Uh, what do you think for the next few years in the Caribbean or Cayman? And what do you think? What are you most opt- I mean, I already asked. You're optimistic, but what do you immediately see? How long do you think this FTX thing will take to pan out? Or oh, you know, I think it'll take a couple of years, and and it will. You know, uh, anything that that is uh, any considerations uh, or discussions of regulation will be either uh, well will, will be backed by you know look what happened here, look what happened there. Therefore, we need to put regulation in place, and so it will definitely push uh, regulation in the U.S further and faster and you know if not elsewhere um here in the cayman islands uh bvi bermuda i we don't feel any pressure on our regulatory circumstances um but you know we we would look to you know we'd be interested to see we are we'll be interested to see what happens um there are clients, not clients of us, but let's say colleagues. You know, when I know people who have funds tied up uh, and can't get them out. Some of them managed to get them out in the early days because they got a phone call, and some of them did not manage to get the money out. And so they are, you know, eager to know what's happened. Um, so, so I think I think there will be a progressively more regulatory approach uh and this has certainly sped up that uh that uh clock interesting and then my one of my last questions brian is you remember the panama papers and the right right uh, that seems to have disappeared i'm just curious what were you gonna say brian so the panama papers i mean it was a list of people who had uh, companies or uh, arrangements in uh, Panama spreading to you know all the other places. It's it's every one of those lists, every one of those connections 
very few of them were fraudulent or illegal. They're, they're, you know, from us in the offshore world, we look at that and we say, oh, that's too bad. That's, that's kind of, unfortunately, um, is a bit of an invasion of privacy of the people who thought they had, you know, set up their arrangements in a particular way. But, you know, the majority of them were legal under each of the regulations and those home, the home uh, people, like it was a UK person or a US person, um, just the existence of the Panama Papers does not mean that everyone operating offshore is, you know, doing so to hide. Um, they're taking advantage of a of a jurisdiction that has uh, a, a different approach to tax and regulation than other jurisdictions do. Uh, jurisdictional arbitrage, if you will. And so, yes, there, there, there has not been as much fallout as the original uh, editors or journalists uh, played up when that information first came to light. Well, the reason I was going to ask is I was like, how does your firms deal with leakage and how do they also enable or guard against you know hacking and what what's the culture of that and then even so government heavy infiltration duty, heavy duty it protection um you know cybersecurity is an issue i have to watch a an hour's worth of cybersecurity uh email internet uh you know stuff every month there because it's such a large firm it, it's a bigger target um you know, we have, uh, you know, there's global IT security systems in place doing everything they can all the time, as well as training people like me or people like the, the, the person on our front desk who answers emails with information questions. Um, it's, it's very strongly protected, more so than you would think, you know, if you go down the street to a, to uh, 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 any business that might even be a big business, and their IT protections would not be would not be the same. But because of the nature of the, um, you know, we have global clients, and so we have to be extremely careful with that. And then, has your firm ever? Have you ever experienced? I'm just w- wondering if governments ever infiltrate these. Um, banks or these law firms or it's just no i mean the government doesn't uh the monetary authority which is a you know quasi-governmental um the monetary authority as the regulator has the right to inquire to to have uh, uh you know make reports to audit each of those. So if you want to, if you want to operate in a particular business and each, each one is regulated slightly differently, whether it's virtual assets, whether it's mutual funds, whether it's insurance, each of those is regulated by the monetary authority and, and they have the right to look in you, your, and no one else does. And whatever they look at, that is also it's not made public. It's not uh, um, uh, common knowledge. Now, when they find someone, and occasionally some of the service providers will get fines because they have not maintained their AML procedures, anti-money laundering. 
you know, know your client, KYC uh, uh, requirements, and they'll get fined. Uh, those fines are made public. Got it. it. It just seems like even in the U.S., it's, it's funny how the Caribbean gets such a kind of negative reputation when I'm sure the KYC procedures in the Caribbean are probably even more sophisticated. Than the way US. more, Robert, way more. Because of our, our, our uh, situation as an offshore tax jurisdiction, we're constantly fighting against EU, actually, even more so than the states. The EU has, has you know, their... It's just a nightmare in terms of what we have to do when we vet our clients. So much so that when we have American or European clients from whom we have to require certified color passport copies, as well as a recent utility invoice showing your name and residential address, you know, they balk. The Europeans are like, what? You want what from me in order to do business? I'm like, yes, that's what we require. And if you don't provide it, we're not going to take you on as a client. So, you know, if you have a company, we want certified copies of all of the corporate documents, um, register of directors, register of shareholders, memorandum and articles, the works. Um, so, so there is our KYC is considerably stricter than most of the other countries. It's just interesting, isn't it? Because the U.S. is always, you know, they right. say most of the money laundry probably occurs through the U.S. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Ryan, um, how can, are you on Twitter or are you on other, where can people follow you or learn more about your work? <laughs> I, 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 I'm not, actually. I, I'd be happy to to take any emails or, or inquiries. Um through my um, my email, probably probably best to use my my home email, which is uh, bjp one zero eight at gmail com, bjp one zero eight, um, and yeah, happy to chat to anyone who's interested or has questions. And if you're interested in in you know uh, corporate. Uh, work or opportunities uh, or have business in the Cayman Islands, uh, I can assist you. And then, Brian, is there anything else you're working on outside of uh, the legal work or anything else you want to share? Um, well, I do I do a lot of diving. I do a lot of yoga. I do meditation. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the guy that uh, that has one foot in the corporate world and one foot in the holistic and spiritual world. And that's what keeps me balanced, Robert. I'm trying to keep up with you, buddy. <laughs> Great. 